if you're so afraid of CO2, they have a way of capturing it at the point of generation. That is cost next to nothing. You combine that with nuclear power and just plant a trillion trees around the planet, you get rid of the CO2 problem. Why aren't we doing that, right? Hello and welcome to the Lewis and Kyle Show, an interview podcast that my friend Lewis and I have conducted over the last 18 months. We've interviewed entrepreneurs, investors, people living unconventional, creative lives in all kinds of different industries, from real estate to crypto to internet entrepreneurship and more. Um, Today, it is no different. We have a great guest and the episode is what we like to call evergreen in that each episode that we've produced is something that we hope will be able to be listened to at any point in the future and you glean the lessons that we learned in the moment. Yeah, this one was a fun episode. I'm definitely not going to say it's the same as a lot of our other episodes. Today, we interview Joe Lestardi. <clears throat> who is a prominent meteorologist, primarily on conservative news programs. He has a weather website, weather business, called Weatherbell, where he you know, does his very best to be as ahead of the weather as possible in terms of reporting, letting people know if crazy stuff's gonna happen, uh, and his clients are you know, super weather-dependent businesses. If you're doing a massive construction project, you need to know as far in advance as you can if it's gonna be you know, inoperable conditions, if you, you know, you have some sort of factory with an outdoor component. Again, you need to know if there's gonna be some crazy weather, whatever these kind of weather dependent businesses are, they're dependent on him to let them know as soon as possible. So he's accountable to a lot of people to report the weather. He recently published a book called The Weaponization of the Weather. It's a discussion of what he refers to as the phony climate war, whether or not that upsets you or not. Well, you know, let the man make his arguments in the podcast and you can see whether or not you agree with him at the end. He approaches the climate debate from a very I'd say overall objective point of view, he does incorporate religion into kind of the main aspect of like there are certain systems that man is you know not capable to understand. That's probably the, the least objective of his arguments, but he otherwise brings in a lot of history, a lot of like you know weather science. He was a former Penn State wrestler, uh, which also informs a lot of his views, and he's also a bodybuilder into the ripe age of 66, which is very very interesting. Uh, he has a very old school wisdom approach to tackling these topics. There's certainly a lot of arguments made that disagree with a lot of mainstream perspectives. So just be prepared to have your views challenged. I think you'll enjoy this conversation if you're ready to just come in with an open mind, think for yourself, uh, see what you agree with, see what you don't agree with. And you know, Joe does not say, you have to agree with me. He doesn't say my way or the highway. He says, this is what I think. Feel free to investigate it on your own and go from there. It's a really interesting conversation, less of a debate, more of just a man explaining his point of view. And I'm excited for you to listen to it and see you know, if it changes your mind on anything or if it doesn't. Uh, with that, I'm going to switch this episode with Joe now. Enjoy. Mr. Bastardi, welcome to the Lewis and Kyle Show. We're really excited for this conversation. Thank you for being here. Uh, well, it's good being here. You could call me Joe. Well, Joe, appreciate that. Uh, first question for you. You've got been basically doing weather your, your entire life. So before we dive into you know, asking you all the questions where you kind of have these contrarian viewpoints with a lot of mainstream narratives, uh, could you tell us you know, your background, your qualifications with the weather, meteorology, uh, climate, science, et cetera? Well, the, I graduated Penn State 78 uh, uh, since 1950. Uh, my most proud thing is uh, maybe, I don't know if you want to call it proud, but I'm the only, um, the, the only degreed wrestler ever to letter division one in wrestling or, or in meteorology. All right. Which is, that shows you meteorology is not easy. All right. Uh, the math part for some guys is really easy, but when it comes down to forecasting, uh, you know, you're dealing uh, with a system that the best you're going to get is a tie with it. You're never going to beat the weather. 
uh, nailing a forecast as a tie. Well, I've, I've loved the weather since I was two or three years old. The two things I wanted to be, three things I wanted to be when I was uh, four, I wanted to be John Kennedy, I wanted to be a weatherman, and I wanted to be Superman, all right? And uh, so much so with Superman, my mother made me a Superman cape when I was two, and rumor is, I don't remember, but she said I was trying to jump out a second floor window uh, with my cape on while she was out, outside uh, doing the laundry or putting the laundry up or something, which probably a lot of people on the left side uh, would have liked to have seen because then they wouldn't have to deal with me now. So, <laughs> but uh, as far as the weather goes, I'll tell you when I was two or three, my parents had to keep an eye on me because uh, I'd go outside, lie down on my back and stare at the sun and the clouds in front of the sun, almost, you know, trying to burn my retinas out. I've been fascinated with it. My dad's a meteorologist. His grandfather was, had a lot of, when, in Rhode Island, he moved from Italy. Would, I, my dad tells me stories about his grandfather telling him it was going to snow the next day. His father was supposedly the town, uh, town weatherman in a, in a town called Bisignano in Italy. So, and my son wants to be a meteorologist. So it, it's really in the blood. It's not just a lot of meteorologists today. I'm not knocking them. They see things on TV. They go, oh, this is interesting and go at it. This is, this is all I was meant to do. And, you know, I'm so blessed in that, uh, you know, not, not a lot of people do what they wanted to do from when they were three years old. Now, they're very good at what they do. And uh, but to, to be able to work in what uh, your passion is like that, uh, it's just a, it just puts you in a different uh, situation. Uh, a lot of a lot of things that go on today. Uh, I mean, if you were seeing something you loved getting uh, dragged through the mud, um, you probably would uh, stand up and say something about it also. So this all continued, you know, when I was a. I was a short, fat, dumpy kid in high school, got picked on every day. And, you know, which must have really killed my dad because my dad's a very strong guy. And, uh, you know, he used to box. And I was supposed to be the next Rocky Marciano. And that didn't happen. But then I sort of turned that around uh, as, I, as I got older, started, you know, I started wrestling and went to Penn State and wrestled. Uh, it wasn't, I, was, I was always infatuated with competing and fighting physically. But I can't take a punch. I don't like getting into fights with people, but wrestling, now that's a different story. I wasn't very good at it, but it kept reinforcing the values I learned as a kid that you got to get up, stand up for yourself. You got to do what's right. You got to prepare. You have to work. Nothing is given to you. Anything that you get for free is only worth what you paid the cost for. So if it's free, it's not worth much at all. So that, I simply transferred what I saw in the wrestling room with guys that were real, real, real good at what they did. I said, well, you know something? I'm not as, I may not be as good as them on the mat, but in what I'm doing as what I love, the weather, I, I think I'm, I, I've got that same amount of talent, but I got to use it. But I have a different type of talent. I'm not a, not a real smart math guy, but I can see patterns evolving uh, very far in front of me. And um, as I got older, I researched things more and more and more. The one thing my father taught me was the foundation you stand on today was built yesterday to reach for tomorrow. Consequently, if you, if you, if you try to erode that foundation or kill that foundation or erase that foundation, uh, it leaves you susceptible to whoever wants to drag you toward tomorrow. You can either reach toward tomorrow by yourself or say, you know, forget that. Uh, someone can just drag me there. All right. So I, I came up a different way from a lot of people, an old school way. 
And so I believe that, uh, you know, you, you create your chances and you look at things. And so I was taught by my father to research what happened before as much as possible. He was always big on the Roman, Roman Empire being Italian. So uh, he, he made me re read The Decline and Fall of the Roman Empire, which I think every kid in high school should read, but no one will ever read it. Uh, but he also used to point out how warm it was during the time of Rome. How, you know, it was just, you know, think, about, think about some things, just, just sit back and think, how do you think Hannibal got those elephants over the Alps? Unless the paths were, the, the pat mountain passes, which go way up, were open, you know, more so than they are today, because, you know, those paths, some of those passes never really get open uh, the way they used to. And, uh, you know, so it was extremely warm in that area of the world. And when, uh, you know, uh, so, you know, I, I knew about all these warm times and these times were referred to as climate optimums because life thrived when it was warmer. The fact is that cold kills a lot more than warm does. You always take clothes off. If you don't have clothes, you can't put them on. You don't have a way to heat your house. You can't heat your house, right? So what happens is uh, you learn about that. And when you go back and you look at that and someone tells you, well, today it's completely different. You say, well, wait a minute. That doesn't match up against the, what, what we saw before. Uh, you naturally um, naturally will question that. Or you used, to be a, you used to question that. You know, I'm 66 years old. We were taught to question authority, not just sit there, okay, this guy's an expert. He's telling me this. How is he an expert? You take, even you take COVID, you know, I, I respect Dr. Fauci and his education, but when was the last time he treated a patient? Think about that. I'm sitting there going, I know doctors that treat patients that are right on the front line of that every day. So I'm sitting there going, well, why aren't I listening to the guy that's actually in the fight? It's almost like, you know, it's like, it, it, I don't care if it's climate. You got a lot of brilliant, these guys are brilliant. I mean, if I go to a climate conference, left or right, I'm the dumbest guy in the room. But then again, the dumbest guy in the room that wants to win and wants to learn will be looking at everything, trying to get all the information you can. That's how I, I was the worst guy on that Penn State wrestling team. How did I ever break into that line? I never even wrestled varsity in high school. We were ranked eighth in the country. That's like a guy walk, a fifth string walk on at Alabama, all of a sudden starting. Okay, now how does that happen? That doesn't happen by the kid just sitting on it, sitting around, just listening to everybody. You have to fight. You have to go against the best. You have to be open to taking the shots. So what happens is I apply that and what I, what I do. So suppose you're the smartest guy in the room. You know what you know. You've owned it. What you own owns you. All right. So let's say, I mean, look at me. It does not matter if the climate fight went away tomorrow. Does not matter because it doesn't affect my job. You know how it affects my job? It affects my job in that I understand the planet is warming. I understand what I believe the reasons for the warming. I have to deal with that warming because of increased in, increases in uh, the energy budget and where it's increasing, which is very important that people understand that, why it's increasing, right? So I have to deal with that every single day. But it doesn't go away if tomorrow, tomorrow somehow the other God came down on earth and says, yes, CO2 is causing this. Or if he came down on earth and said, no, CO2 is not causing this, okay? Now, if God showed up in front of me and said, CO2 is causing it, I'd say, Okay, I accept it. Do you think these guys have put 30, 40, 50 years of their life and just that's all they're known for, okay? That's all they're known for. Do you think for one second they're going to be happy with that, getting that answer? Sometimes, guys, 
it's not the answer people want to be involved with. It's the road to the answer and all the other things it leads to. The fact is, in my, in my particular business, nobody forecast in, in the climate. I am not climate first, weather, weather bell second. I am all about the weather and forecasting. And the only reason I speak up is when someone tells me that this is the worst ever and off the top of my head, I can point them to 10 times or worse, all right? For instance, people were screaming about Sandy. You know, the highest wind gust in Newark and New York City occurred uh, November 1950, late November 1950, 113 miles an hour. In the same storm that dumped a foot of snow on Ohio State, Michigan, in that particular football game out there. It was a legendary game. You can go Google it, right? But how, how did we have storms that bad? Or Providence, Rhode Island, uh, with 13 feet of water into the city in the, uh, in the uh, 1938 hurricane. Wind can you imagine this? Can you imagine a wind gust of 186 miles an hour at a 600-foot hill to the southwest of Boston, 20 miles away from Boston? That's 1938, all right? Can you imagine September 4, 1933, two major hurricanes hitting the United States on the same day, one in Florida, one in Texas? So when someone says, oh, my gosh, I just the worst thing ever or something like that, I go, okay, this is not true. You have not looked. You have not seen. But you want to push this missive. Now, why would you, ta- so why would you tell somebody? Well, yeah, that's, a, that's exactly that Listen, history. I'm going to tell all your listeners, do not believe me. Do not believe me. If this is important to you, if what is important to you, you have to be virtuous and vigilant. You cannot be complacent and comfortable. If you're complacent and comfortable, you're just going to go where you're led to go, okay? Sheep are complacent complacent and uh, comfortable, right? But the reason you see this, there's got to be some deception going on. And, okay, I'll circle back. I cannot believe as a kid who was nicknamed Blizzard Belly in junior high school because I was fat and I loved snow and loved the weather and everybody knew that. I can't believe I took hassle about the weather then and that now I take hassle because the weather is a big political issue. If you told me one thing in my life that would never be a focus of politics or policy or whatever, it would be the weather. All right. I mean, I can't even believe this. So it's just it's just very, very interesting. By the way, my self-importance, if you want to call that, okay, is not attached to climate. All right. Uh, I mean, it's attached to doing what I was made to do in front of my heavenly father. That's it right there. And I'm in a constant war with myself as to, you know, what is being driven by Joe Bastardi motives and what is being driven by what I am supposed to do. All right. And that's a big key. Okay. I'll tell everybody, you got young people listening. Here's the big key. Don't do what you're told to do. Do what you were made to do. Go search out. What do you love the most? The guys I train, I always say to them, because one day your wrestling career is going to be done. What do you love second second best to wrestling? All right, because everybody, anyone that wrestles has to love wrestling first. All right. So then you look at that and you say, well, why don't I simply apply, uh, apply what I've learned through this love of pursuit to what I'm doing down the road, right? Instead of just saying, uh, walking into advisor's office and the advisor says, well, you can make a lot of money doing this. Oh, okay. But you have to spend $150,000 
and you're not assured of the job, nor are you assured that it be, because you may not be the best because you're not, you know, if you're motivated just by some outside force rather than inside out, uh, all right, what's going to happen? You're going to compete with guys. Maybe there's a guy, let's say you want to be the best programmer in the world or whatever. Maybe there's a guy that that's all he's wanted to do from six years old, and he's got equal or greater talent than you, okay? And people say, well, why can't I be like him? Well, because you weren't made to be like him. I mean, that's, a, that's actually out of scripture. I, forget, I think it was in, I think it was Elisha. And God kept telling him to go to this place, go to this place, be where you were supposed to be. Search out what you're supposed to be and where you're supposed to be, and then the success will come. So that's what it's about with me. With me, it's about the weather, all right? So my stance, if you want to call it that, because, uh, you know, people, that's the other thing. If people say, you're a climate denier. Do you realize yeah, there's no meteorologist? Mis misidentify your views. So if you could kind of state them clearly, that would be very no, There's no meteor. There's, listen, when I come on a show, I take over. So just, no, I'm only kidding. But, <laughs> but I actually told that. I actually said that to O'Reilly one time. I go, this is my show. What are you, talk, what are you talking about, yours? Uh, but uh, what, happens, what, what happens is when you lie about someone, when you say he's a climate denier, climate change denier, and that's the same guy that, uses climate examples more than anybody in the business for his weather forecast. If you're lying about someone, I, why would you even listen to that person? People ask me about Michael Mann all the time. I say, guy's brilliant. I've sat down to dinner with him. The guy is brilliant. I happen to disagree with him on the attribution of CO2 given the entire system. But all these guys have linked the increase in CO2 to the warming that's going on. The warming that's going on is not, a, you cannot see it linked to CO2 and temperature because we have no linkage to CO2 and temperatures. Meteorologists do not use CO2 mixing ratios and correlate them to temperatures. We use water vapor. And the warming of the oceans can't be caused by a slight increase in CO2 nor the feedback. In fact, the, 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 the only, the only, um, the only radiation that is absorbed is outgoing radiation from the warming. It's not incoming radiation that's absorbed by the CO2 bands, and they're saturated anyway. So what happens is I disagree with the attribution. I believe there are a lot of other things that are going on, including natural cyclical intersection, which is something we talk about, cumulative buildup of heat due to you know 200 years of high sunspot activity may be involved, underwater hydrothermal oceanic vents. What is that? Oh, he's trying to confuse. No, it's no, not. There are warm vents that... that uh, from the core of the earth that break through the crust underneath the ocean that are warming the air. You can see, you can see these hot spots developing and it's not like the CO2 fairies going, Oh, I think I'll develop a hot spot east of New Zealand and we won't do it over here. And nobody looks at it or brings it up. Right? So with water, the, the, the key is guys, when you hear it's the hottest ever, most of that is warming in the coldest, driest areas at their coldest time of the year. So let's say you got the Arctic is 10 degrees warmer than it was 35 years ago in the winter. It's not warming during the summer, which should be a big key to people. People should understand that. Well, why is it warmer during the summer? Because the temperature, the mean temperature in the Arctic in the summer is about 32, 33, right? In the winter, it's supposed to be minus 30, minus 40. The increase of one-tenth of, uh, one of a gram of, uh, of water vapor per uh, kilogram of, of uh, air increases temperature 10 degrees at minus 40 but when you get to when you get to let's say 75 80 degrees in the tropics or even 32 degrees it has no effect at all 
So if all the warming is occurring in the Arctic winter, right, what does that have to be? Now, why would that be? You put a little extra water vapor in the air, more cloudiness, more cloudiness forms, right? So if it's not clear at night, it doesn't get quite as cold. Clouds radiate back down to earth. So it's, it's let's, I tell people all the time, I say, okay, you, uh, uh, 40 years ago, you would have frozen to death in the Arctic in three seconds. Now it's 3.5 seconds in the, in the middle of the winter. But it's snowing more in the northern hemisphere. And that should also be a key. That is climate 101. That is, you know, I mean, when I was eight years old, my dad gave me this book, Why the Weather, all right? And there was a chapter on climate change. This is 1963. And it says if the earth warms, what happens is it starts snowing more, more precipitation shows up. The more precipitation that shows up, the more it snows in the northern hemisphere, uh, or, or let's say Greenland, people go, oh, my gosh, Greenland, look at how it's melting. That's because it is snowing so much. Surface mass budget in Greenland this summer was above average, not below average, and no one knows that. Greenland's melting. No, it's not. I've been hearing it's melting for 30 years now. Why is there still ice on Greenland, right? So what happens is when you, when you look at this, the fight back that occurs, Canadian springs are getting colder, right? So all this is showing that the Earth is naturally fighting back. That's called Le Chatier's principle, by the way. It's a grand... If you've taken a chemistry class, you know what that is. It basically says that any any new item introduced into a system, the system will naturally readjust and fight back. That's basically what that means. All right. So what happens is it's called destructive interference. The 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 establishment always tries to prevent the new idea. I don't care what it is in nature too. So you're seeing that in front of you now. If you're not conscious of what's happened before. And you're a young person and you see, this is a great thing about it. You know, the, the one thing about these folks on the other side, I'm not talking the brilliant scientists that I disagree with. I'm talking about the people who have seized control of this for redistribution of wealth. Ten trillion dollars. We're going to save the planet. Right. <laughs> OK. All right. We want to do that. I'm involved with a bunch of people that could do it for pennies on the dollar. They have a way, if you're so afraid of CO2, they have a way of capturing it, the point of generation that is cost next to nothing. You combine that with nuclear power and just plant a trillion trees around the planet, you get rid of the CO2 problem. Why aren't we doing that, right? Because we're going this way. Everybody's moving this way. So you see this going on. Those are the people that have taken control of the issue. Because basically, if we're going to argue this, it's a 10-minute argument in a bar. Then let's go argue over Alabama, Georgia for the national title at the end of the year for you Bama fans out there because I know a couple of you guys might be. So th that's what I'm saying. When someone attaches anything to something that is meant to deflect or deceive, you better take a look at climate denier, this or that, or this doesn't work or that doesn't work. Got Actually, I was looking through all the questions that you, you tackled in that. Uh, right off the bat, I want to. Uh, you got into it just a little bit there at the end with some of the wealth distribution and the ten trillion dollar stimulus, or not stimulus, but uh, you know proposals to reduce <laughs> the weather by half of a degree. But you know, your, your book is titled "The Weaponization let of the Weather." Let me ask a question. Let me ask. Look, yes, look, yeah. ask you, us a okay, question. before we'll you go, before you go, let's let us say let's say you're you're going to ask me about this. First thing I say to you is, okay, what's the le perfect level of CO two? Given plants grow better. See, this is what this is what's nuts about about this. Plants grow better at approximately three and a half times more CO two than in the air. I mean, there's a famous experiment people could look at 
1,500 parts per million versus 400 parts per million, okay? About how trees, over a four-year period, the thing is twice as big. Now, why would nature, for me, it's God. For those of you who don't believe in God, I respect your opinion. I'm not just saying that. I understand why, why you would not, all right? Why would nature create organisms that exhale 100 times more CO2 than they inhale, yet create organisms that in turn use that as their food, that's what CO2 is, plant food, and then put oxygen back into the air. Why would that synergism develop there? And when you're talking about, oh, we're putting all the CO2 in the air, where the heck did that CO2 come from in the first place? It had to have been present, it had to have been present in the ground from what grew before, right? Plants die, right? You know, that's that's a, that's a crazy thing. Like forests are meant to be, uh, you know, they're going to fall down. The trees are going to fall down someday. Then they're going to be absorbed in the ground. The whole cycle continues constantly. And it's an infinite cycle. It's been here since the beginning of time. It's going to be here long after man is gone. And people seem to think that they mm-hmm. contain that cycle somehow or the other. But just the natural animal-plant synergism is enough to give you evidence that there is some kind of of linkage that is, you know, to us, a lot of people, CO2 is the elixir of life. You can't live without it, all right? Plants can't live without it. And, and people, people take air in and they breathe CO2 back out. And by the way, I would suggest to all your listeners, if you're really concerned about this, start holding your breath for 30 seconds out of every minute or 45 seconds out of every minute. First of all, indicate that your oxygen distribution is pretty good and you don't have COVID. And secondly, you will be able to cut down on you, you carbon-emitting polluter, you, which is which. By the way, ties into the whole anti-population. You know, think about you know people want to depopulate the earth. I mean, you have had people that was that prince in England said, yeah, when I come back, Prince William or something, one of the old one over there. I don't, I don't think it was Charles said, uh, I want to come back as a uh, as an organism that destroys human life. So we could get it all down to only a billion. I mean, these people say this stuff. If you go in and look at some of the quotes, yeah. you'll be like, how are these people even be, being listened to? <clears throat> well, listen I, to? I think that that's what Lewis was actually trying to allude to rather than, you know, the CO2 question at large is what is the motivation of these yeah, people exactly. who are weaponizing the weather? What, well, what, what, are, what are the incentives and like positive outcomes for them in the future from uh, the proliferation of this argument, and um, <clears throat> it's a means to an end. Why? What is yeah, that? if it's okay, if it's guys, the distribution okay. of wealth, this, what does that this, mean? There's two there's two arguments how to advance mankind. Uh, the, the the Marxist argument or whatever uh, arguments has always been top down. All right, government smarter people take control and help elevate the masses. To do that, you have to eliminate the upward mobility of the of any given individual. Okay, that's why that's why a guy like Donald Trump was so dangerous. If you ever read the book, The Dictator's Handbook, Trump is the anti-dictator. He has no attachments to anybody. He just does what he wants. As opposed to most of the situation, most well, for instance, if you take uh, the president, every president. Okay, I don't care if it's George Bush or whatever. They all had people they were uh, every established president. To. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and it, 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 look, it's just the way it is. But, but so, so 
what happens is when you get when you get any anything that encourages individualism, okay, it is a threat to the control, especially if the individual is some Neanderthal or you know. I, I mean, when when someone says, "I think that guy's stupid," okay, oh, okay, let let's just take the average person living out. Uh, you know, a deplorable out in the middle of nowhere. Okay, that person is dumb, right? Well, let me let me ask you this. If I stuck you out in the woods with nothing for three days, you think you'd live? That guy'd be thriving out. He'd be fishing and hunting and doing whatever he wanted, right? So who's stupid then? My point is mm -hmm. everybody everybody is given a certain talent, okay? But the problem is when you're in competition, when you're in competition, and there are two ways to get ahead keep your opponent down or beat your opponent at his best. I've always been taught you want to beat your opponent at his best because if you use your opponent not as a target but as something to help improve yourself, as a gift to help improve yourself, you will improve yourself or the people around you. But if you want to maintain if you want to maintain a control and let's say for instance, let's take the economic situation. The theory is that if you redistribute wealth and everybody's got an equal amount of money they all start spending and the economy starts booming that way, as opposed to certain people that are hoarding wealth, all right, and not letting other people have it. Well, uh, it, I mean, I would like to be I'd like to be the tailback for Alabama. All right. I wish I was a tailback for Alabama, but I wasn't born with the ability to be the tailback for Alabama. Uh, you know, just cause that doesn't mean, hey, how come I worked out harder and did this and this? Why is it Nick Saban? Uh, you know, uh, put me in the lineup or something like that. But you've got a bunch of people who believe that the only way to make it, quote, fair is to make the playing field even. They don't make the playing field even by improving it for for the, uh, you know, people who are down in the dumps. They make it, uh, they make it uh, even by the people who are, you know, the people that are moving up. Let's get them back down to where they belong because – the more money you have or the more whatever, the more freedom you have, the more of a threat you are to someone who is at a top position. But it, it, I, I don't even think it is an, uh, a noble. I, I think it's actually a noble motive. They actually believe the best way to do things is to have sort of people who are very, very smart in control and that everybody toes the same line and that that uh, that's how society advances. Now you say, well, look at a football team. They all have to be on the same page. No question about it. But the start, the starting tailback is the best guy that is available. It's not like I said, well, we got to make sure that, uh, okay, everybody's on the same page as far as how to do things, but we got to keep this guy down so that this guy gets a chance to play too. All right. You know, you know, it's, I want you to think about something. If you love sports, you love your team, do you think those teams got that way by being politically correct? Do, do you think that they did? Do you think that, oh, oh, we're just going to, we're not going to compete. <clears throat> we're going to just figure things, everybody, every, everything for everybody or something like that. No, that's not what happens. So what I've always, I've always been fascinated. I go into Penn State, 107,000 screaming people there. I assume 50% do things one way, 50% do another but they all scream for Penn State to win right and yet they won't accept in their own life and what they see around them what it takes to be the best right they want some other way out do you understand what I'm saying they, they flip around their attitudes 
with this it's football team over yeah. here. But they understand why they I think apply it, uh, competitive principles to sports, and it's so. Like, okay so for the other guys, I think they hold on to the Hold Yeah, yeah. Right. So guys like me, you know what I decided to do? What I think is the best way to do? Figure out what talent God gave you. Live in a free and open society that encourages competition, okay, and freedom, and then have at it. And you got to, you got to. I, I never even. Even when I play ping pong, I would never cheat to win, right? I always want to make sure I beat the guy. I bought, still bodybuild. I would never take steroids, okay? And by the way, you know, some, 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 uh, you know there's a joke in the gym, uh, gyms I used to work out at. Dieting without steroids is called shrinking, right? Because you go into these contests. These guys are monsters. I can't even believe what the heck I'm looking at, right? But that's not me. I don't, I don't want to beat somebody or win the day because I cheated or uh, not cheated, but I did something that wasn't me. So what happens mm. is there's a difference between giving somebody and the government should be a safety net. There's no question about it. That's that's right out of scripture. You help people who are weakest. But what happens is if you don't have the wealth anymore because it's been taken from you and you've usurped your authority to you know, for whatever it is to prevent climate change, you don't have the money to help this person across from you, then then that is taken from you. So the individual freedom is taken from you. My wife always says the problem with, you know, what's called the conservative movement is people believe I'm about I'm a con, what I call a constitutional libertarian. I love the Constitution. It's just unbelievable. These guys wrote this thing. Right. And I believe it uh, almost to a point of anarchy as far as less is less is better uh, i'm not going to say i'm an anarchist but uh, what what happens is you got you got people that don't understand that conservative means conserve freedom conserve the freedom that you were given so the big fight comes down to what you're seeing today i don't care if it's climate or whatever comes down to who what is the best way to advance society in general okay and the more there is a government entity, the more that there's dependency on government, there's less dependency on self. There's less dependency if you're spiritual on God. It gets in the way of God. You know, when you have to worry about where your next dollar's coming from to feed your family, and you know you have to go to the government, guess what happens? You go to the government, right? And that's what cli- that's a, the climate has been. Climate has become a weapon for that. You understand? That's why it's a, that's why my book is a phony climate war. The real agenda is about how can people use climate and weather to advance this agenda over here. And what they do is they tell you that this is getting worse. We have to do preventive measures, blah, 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 blah. Do you know this year, bad wildfire season, right? Bad wildfire season? It's normal. It's actually less than normal. Less than the normal amount of acreage and fire, fires occurred this year, right? Do you think for one second, if it were 1935, you know anything about these fires? It wouldn't even be people living where these fires are occurring. Because in 1935, the average amount of wildfire acreage burnt was four times what it is today. And nobody knows that. So why would someone hide that truth? I want you to think about I want to move to, I want to real quickly. I, I'm, uh, you know, I, I, will co- I will confess I'm a God squatter, okay? That's what my 66 years have taught me, that I'm not God. And since I don't believe other men are God, and I look around at the majesty of the atmosphere, that's what the atmosphere teaches you, humility, and that something bigger is at work here. 
right? If God is the search for truth, let's say God is the search for truth. Let's simplify it, okay? What is the hiding of truth or non-truths? What does that have to be associated with? If it's not associated with God, what could it be associated with? Just you, you answer the question yourself. All right, uh, you, you know, you I, and maybe maybe the maybe it's not the same answer as me. But Paul Harvey wrote so Paul Harvey had something in 1965. Google if I were the devil, 1960. Just Google it sometime and listen to that, and you'll be going, oh my gosh, whether there is a devil or not, this guy knocked it out of the park as to what was going to happen. So uh, it circles back to that. Why? Basically, you know, I I don't know another man's motive. I can put two and two together, though, and chances are, even in this age of new math, it'll wind up being four. Yeah, <clears throat> I think that's a really interesting answer, and I have to listen to it back in order to really give it a, a it. go. But I think that one underlying principle of all of what you're talking about is the idea of like natural versus artificial systems, and like the um, artificial models. or manufactured belief that um, some artificial explanation for uh, the, the natural world is in any way like reflective of, of what it's going to do or like actual reality. And I think that that um, applies to the weather and the government generally. And from my perspective, um, I think a lot about like cryptocurrencies, Bitcoin and, and the Federal Reserve. And we asked um, somebody you know, what fundamentally is the problem with the Federal Reserve? And it was, it was that a small group of people, yeah, David Bailey, a small group of people think that they can um, effectively make decisions for a natural system that's comprised of, you know, hundreds of millions of people. And, um, you know, I think that that is a, <clears throat> a common thread in the, um, the, desire to remove that upward mobility and and removal of freedom but let, let, let me let me say this and you got to be able to you got to be able to because you guys sort of were sort of thinking on the same line as you talk about federal reserve you got to be able to say though you know some of those people might be right hmm. you see what i'm saying i'm not afraid i look at everything yeah, you, know, you got guys like Kevin Trenberth out at Nat, and the uh, guy's brilliant, and Dr. Mann over here at Penn State. These people are brilliant people. You know, I got people on my side of the issue that are constantly demonizing them and all this other stuff. Just argue with their CO2 <clears throat> stuff. Even if they come out and yell at you, it doesn't, doesn't change, change your attitude. But I read uh, most of the stuff Michael Mann has written, I love. I, I read it and say, yeah, I think this guy's got a point. I got to look at it, right? It's when. You know, it's 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 when you get to the conclusion that, uh, you know, he doesn't forecast the weather every day and hasn't looked at every single weather map, you know, uh, since uh, yeah, I, I go back. You know what I do? I go back on the WPC World Weather Prediction Site, Weather Prediction Center site. There are maps back there in the 1800s. We call that Texas freeze nine days away because I was looking at maps of 1899, the surface maps and the evolution. And I knew what was going to happen. I have clients. So there's a bottom line for my clients. I got to hit it before everybody else. So, uh, but, but you've got to be able to say, Hey, this, this person might be right. Maybe the natural evolution is toward because man's more intelligent and artificial fix. I don't know. I don't know. But in the meantime, you have to be able to question authority and not just simply accept it. Okay. Why would, what uh, uh, I'm going to give you an example. Here's this guy, whether you like him or not, 
He's 74 years old. I would say he's 50 to 60 pounds overweight, sleeps four hours a night, drinks, from what I understand, a gallon of Diet Coke a day. All right. That's former President Trump. All right. How does he get COVID? And four days later, he's fine. There wasn't <laughs> any vaccine at the time. How, oh, he's got the best. Well, what the heck did the best doctors give him? What did the best? And why was he treated immediately? But most of the other advice is go home for 10 days. If you can't breathe, come back and, you know, we'll see what we could do for you. Right. Why? Nobody, nobody sits here question that. And you know why Trump people don't question it? Because Trump, Trump staked his entire presidency on getting that vaccine out before the election. That's what. He, so once he got to the position, he got COVID in September. He couldn't sit there and say, well, I took all the stuff that you've been bashing me over because they rebash him again. Right. And also he would disown his own vaccine. So, but what I'm saying is I may not be right, although I suspect I am right because of inside sources, but that's all I'm going to say. But I, I'm amazed that nobody, even on the left, who at that time was saying, if this vaccine is done before the election, we're not taking it. It's no good. Then, Trump wins two day, 10 days later, it's out and the, everybody's got to take the vaccine or Trump loses. Everybody's got to take the vaccine. Somehow the other, somehow the other, because you, you don't have Trump in there, the vaccine is fine. Yeah. Right, right. But nobody, nobody asked how did this heavy set older guy, I don't care how high energy he is. I mean, I suspect, I suspect a lot of interesting things go on with a lot of these people that you see that energy at 74, 75, you know, uh, uh, that has to do with, uh, you know, I mean, look at Stallone. How the heck did he make that movie? Is that rip? People, um, Lewis's, Lewis's uncle uh, lifts with me. And he says, how can you be that ripped? I said, I only weigh 154 pounds now. Part of that is, you know, I'm still competing, but I can't compete at 175 anymore. If I go get a shot of growth hormone, I might be able to compete at 175. Because I see guys that I compete against, and they're 66 years old. I go, this guy's unbelievable, right? So there must be something going on, all right? And if there's not anything going on, how come nobody will question that? Now, as you probably know, I, 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 I sympathize with Trump's, um, uh, not his lack of humility, because I believed if he, if, if someone said to me, if you were to meet Donald Trump, what would you do? I'd give him the book, Humility of Heart. That's what I would give him because, you know, hey, I, I don't know what it is with him. He, uh, when, when he did what he did with Dorian, I, I, I write for CFACT, which is a conservative blog, and I just went after him. I said, what are you talking about? Like, you know, yeah, the, the cone into Alabama. That was the most ridiculous thing I've ever seen someone do to justify a weather forecast or what he was doing with policy, Right. And all he did was make a mistake. He said, well, we're watching Alabama, too. And instead of sitting to say, OK, Alabama's not going to get hit, he doubled and tripled down on it. How is a hurricane going to go through Florida and still be a major hurricane hit Alabama is beyond me. That Now, that's something that's never happened before. All right. I've seen him go under Florida and into Alabama. But that's what I'm talking about. So when you see this stuff go on, everybody is trying to justify their own position. All right. And when you do that, that will blind you to an objective look for the truth. Climate, COVID, economy, your own personal freedom. It's all to it. You don't have to agree with me. Just, just sit down one time. For instance, I'll tell people, okay, you're voting in this election. 
make a list of the top 10 things. This is what I do with analoging, all right? What are the top 10 events closest to this that I've seen? And weight them, 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1, where 10, 10 is your strongest analog, 1 is your weakest analog. Here's what you do, folks. Go get the, uh, don't even use 10. Go get the top five issues of your life, okay, for, for you as an individual, and weight them, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1, and then go and look at the candidate that is closest to those things, and you'll have a score. You know what's funny? I will talk to somebody on the other, some of my friends on the other side of the issue. I'll say, here's what I want you to do this. And I remember one time we were talking about George Bush, and the guy starts screaming at me. I will never, because he realized that out of the 10 issues, uh, he, he agreed with Bush on eight of them. And he just starts screaming, I'm never going to vote for Bush, right? Just because it is the way it is. But so in anything, all I'm advocating is, and you look, you, you don't listen to Joe Bastardi. My goodness, I'd be, you know, the last, I can't even stand looking at myself in the mirror. What you guys got to do is look for yourself. If it's important to you, all right, then you make the decision. If it's not important to you, you're not looking, don't scream at someone because they have a different opinion than you. <laughs> right? <laughs> Climate, I don't care what it is. Yeah, I think uh, one good quote you put in your book is from, and we can kind of close out with this, is just from Eisenhower's farewell address. Just, you know, don't outsource your yeah. thinking. That's pretty much yeah. like the big and lesson. Why here. would you? And, okay, well, this is crazy. You're being asked to give up your individuality for the good of everybody else, okay? Well, what if that good of everybody else runs counter to what your personal beliefs are, all right? You see, for instance, I'm not anti-vaccine. You know why I don't want to take the vaccine? Because I'm training constantly. I'm competing every two months, and I can't afford three or four days if there's a reaction that I get sick. So I don't get sick. You say, how do you not get sick? Well, if I, if I were to tell you, first of all, so someone, says, someone says to me, you've got to get that vaccine. Well, you've got to quit drinking and you have to get your body weight down, right? You think I like Booker? I'm no longer big Joe Bastardi. I'm shrinking Joe Bastardi. But, but I know that my oxygen distribution is better if I'm light and in shape all the time, running lean and mean, than going out and partying and, and, and doing stuff like that. So that's right. Why would you outsource your ability to uh, defend and improve yourself to someone else that's telling you something. It's like when they shut down the gyms. Look at the people that demanded the gyms be shut down during COVID. Look at what they look like. Do you think, why are people in gyms? People are in gyms trying to stay healthy. It's not like a bar where every, you know what? You could probably have young people listen. Every time you take a shot of alcohol, it lowers your immune system response by 10%, all right? So what happens is if you're in a bar and you have five shots, your immune system has been cut down. You're breathing on each other. How is that like a gym where we're disinfecting after every set and doing this and doing that? People walking around masks. I don't know how. how but I'm, if you work out hard, I don't know how you keep a mask on. Let's put it that way. All right. So, uh, but you're you're exactly right. I'm gonna I'm gonna end it with this. I'm gonna tell you for me. All right. If you ever saw the movie Chariots of Fire, Pastor Eric Little, which is a great movie. You should see that because it's about a guy who is trying to overcome uh, and excel as a man. And then there was the one guy who was, uh, and they both won gold medals, right? And the other guy is Pastor Eric Little, who just said, I'm going to let it all hang out in front of, in front of the good Lord above. And 
he was scheduled to run the half mile and he, he didn't run it because it was on a Sunday. So he just went out and ran the mile, which if you ever run a half mile a mile, you run them differently, except he didn't. He said, I'm just going to sprint the whole thing. And it, when he won, he said, well, I, I ran the first half mile on my own. The last half mile uh, I ran on, uh, you know, uh, God, God pushed me. Right. And then there was Abrams. The other guy who won was one and he was being driven by overcoming all the crap that was thrown on him because he was Jewish. All right. But that's exactly what was going on there. People were anti-Semites like crazy. They didn't even want him to run for England, for goodness sakes, right? So what happens is you had two guys driven by two different things. But Eric, Pastor Eric Little said, God made me fast, and I feel his pleasure when I run. Well, God made me to do the weather, and I see the majesty of his hand in the atmosphere every day. But that's after 66 years. And there are four scripture readings that sum up what I do, all right? Number one is number one is Proverbs 25.2. It's the glory of God to conceal things but it is the glory of kings to search for what is concealed. In other words, you have to search on your own, okay? Second, th second thing you come to realize is that the heavens declare the glory of God. Third thing is, Ecclesiastes, there's nothing new under the sun, right? And finally, uh, what, be, what uh, started before uh, ends again. And finally, the, the classic one is the Apostle Paul. He says, those who know what they know don't yet know what they ought to know, which sums it up. You think you know something, there's chances are you go, go, go in anything you do, there's something else you could go dig for, for you to arm yourself with what you need to do to be as strong as you can. I don't care if it's as an individual, you reach for a good Lord above. So that's how, that's how I am about all this stuff. And, you know, I don't see, I don't get bent out of shape for some person doesn't agree with me, but I, that's what, that's what gets me crazy about this cancel culture. Guy doesn't agree with you. Just leave them off on the side. Just let, let the let uh, what leave the dust leave the dust of your sandals at his doorstep, right? I don't understand why we all have to be snooping into other people's business and worried about this and worried about that today. You know, I have enough problems trying to handle my own problems, all right, rather than solving the problems of other people. So anyway, uh, yeah, I probably should apologize because it probably offended half of your listeners. But listen, just go, just go and look for yourself. All right. Don't be afraid. Just just go forward. All right. Find out what you were made to do. No matter what, you've got something inside you that you're supposed to do. You find out what it is and you go as hard as you can at it. And hopefully, hopefully going down the road for you young people, you have enough freedom to pursue your dream. It's sad when sad when I talk to people, they email all the time, said, I always loved the weather, always wanted to do that. But I had to do this. I had to do that. And uh, that's a that's a sad thing. So. Uh, for me, I, I, I just hope everybody's blessed enough to be able to pursue and have the freedom to do what, do what they were made to do. Well, Joe, this has been very, very interesting. Uh, I'm glad, as Kyle mentioned earlier, that we have this recorded so we can re-listen ourselves and make sure we caught everything. Uh, I We didn't get too much into the details of your book. I really did enjoy reading it. I th the book gives a lot of specific examples of some other, let's kind of call them like dark magic tactics. Uh, people use to misrepresent weather data, misrepresent climate information. So I'd highly recommend other people read it. Similar thoughts to this, just more examples, more spelled out. Well, by the way, I wanted to say something. I'm an outcast on my side because, uh, I mean, before I even uh, I, I even got involved directly, I had a three-pronged way of solving this whole CO2 problem. If you're so afraid of CO2, look. And, and what I said in the book was my daughter – all she wanted was a life-size Barbie 
uh, when she, uh, she was three years old. So I said, all right, her birthday is December 7th. We got her the life-size Barbie and it was uh, Christmas, you know, it's around Christmas time. But a week later, she comes into our bedroom one night crying. She says, the Barbie is talking to all the, all the uh, nutcrackers and uh, trying to convince the nutcrackers to attack me when I'm asleep. This is my daughter telling me this, right? The Barbie, I'm like, did I go, okay, I'm going to go up there and burn down your room and destroy the, no, I took the Barbie away, right? I want to give Oz his broomstick, Oz being John Kerry. Okay, let's get the CO2 emissions down to zero. Very easy way to do it. Very uh, economical, right? And I know the people that are trying to do it. And no matter how, listen, no matter how much I've, I've, uh, I've gone, at, gone to people and say, listen, I'm supposedly the big number one meteorological uh, skeptic, climate denier, whatever. I'm advocating for this. Why don't you at least look at it? No, people don't want to look at it because they want to stay entrenched in their position. You've got, you've got big oil and big uh, gas and they're invested hundreds of billions of dollars into carbon capture, right? Right. So they, they're not going to turn around. Right. And, and then you have the people on the other side of the issue. If this issue goes away, what are they going to do? What are they going to do? Well, see, and I'm not afraid, guys, I'm not afraid of the answer because I don't believe CO2 is screwing up the planet. So if I get all the CO2 out, right, and then the weather still keeps going crazy, they're going to have to say, oh, well, it's because of what happened before. And then I can simply say, well, then why, why what happened before that I show you in my book? Why isn't that the cause? How, how are you telling me there's a new dust bowl coming back in 2012? The weather goes the opposite way. And, and then you sit there, nobody says boo to you about it. And if we have a new dust bowl coming, how do we have the old dust bowl? Well, I CO2 caused this, but it doesn't cause that. It's the CO2 magic fairy. So what I'm saying is, uh, 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 in my book, there are things in my book that uh, don't, don't just follow the path. Believe me, there's some people that are on my side of the issue. It matter me. I, it, I, I, you know, I'm I'm for I'm for whatever works, no matter which way it goes, and uh, it's just fascinating watching all this. But uh, I'm sure I have my faults too. I got to figure them out. <laughs> Well, Joe, thank you again for coming on the podcast. We'll make sure to link the book for anyone who's listening to this so they can check it out. And, uh, well, you know, just think for yourself, gather all the information and, and search for the truth. So that's, we'll leave with that. Uh, yep. And above all, above all, enjoy the weather. It's the only weather you got. <laughs> Great. Thank you. And that wraps up our conversation with Joe Bastardi. Another interesting conversation with an interesting person. Uh, my three takeaways, the first of which is about what he said about believing, um, or just really just taking anything for fact when you hear it for the first time without doing your own research. I mean, I guess the point is do your own research and find your own truth. Don't like let other people determine what you believe without actually investigating and finding the facts for yourself. Because as he said, you know, no matter what it is, no matter how big of an expert you are on a topic, there's always something else that you can find and that you can learn um, about that topic that can help you. And the second is um, what do you, it's like, it really stuck out to me because I don't know if I found it yet, but like, what do you love the most? You know, for him, he was three years old and he's like, dude, 
weather. Like people made fun of him in high school because all you'd look up, you'd just be looking up at the sky and like watching the clouds pass by. And it's like until you uh, you know have that thing and you find that thing that you care about um, or that interests you so much that you could see yourself doing every day for the rest of your life. Uh, I think he would say that you're wasting your God-given potential. Um, and I, I do think that it's important, you know, to continue to look. And as David Oakley said in an episode way back, uh, you got to keep on trying boots until you boots fit, until fit. you find boots yeah. that fit. Because when the boots fit, you can run a lot farther. You know what I mean? Um, and the third thing is uh, that stuck out to me from him was that you want – to beat your opponent at his best. I don't know why that stuck out to me, um, but it did. It's like, you know, he's talking about not cheating and, 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 and being upright and virtuous. And I just think that that really sums up, um, you know, how I think it, it's like a hard way of living. You know, you want to, you want to beat your opponent when he is at his best. Um, and, and yeah, Lewis, what about you? What are your takeaways from that conversation? Yeah, I'm just going to front this with, I really have a lot of takeaways here. So I've talked too long, just like, you know, whatever, every kind of device that our podcast is on has a skip button or you can just like jump to the next episode, leave now. I just got a lot to say. So I really think first takeaway here categorized as old school wisdom that I just think, you know, some good, good old school wisdom. You know what you said right there at the end, uh, just repeat you, don't cheat, beat your opponent as best. You know, don't take roids, don't take growth pills, just like do, do what you can do. Search for the truth, question inconsistencies. Uh, don't mind being the dumbest in the room. Back to questioning inconsistencies. Just like when you see something that doesn't add up, just trust your own intuition to be like, this doesn't add up. Uh, with COVID, he's like, you know, we're taught from the experts that the at-risk category, people in their 70s who are overweight and don't sleep well. And he's like, but Donald Trump bounced back in two days. Like, someone's got to reconcile this for me before I believe everything else. Either there's some treatment he has that we don't have, or just like seeing something that doesn't align and questioning it. Uh, second one is I just think Joe has overall a better approach to scholarship than a lot of other people. I use the term scholarship just to kind of mean like, you know, reaching truth on an intellectual scientific topic. You know, he encourages the asking of questions, encourage, encourages the clash and debate of ideas, encourages being challenged, poses the ideas from the viewpoint of, I would love for someone to prove me wrong. I would love to be challenged. Like I'm not married. My ego is not attached to being right. I avoid arrogance. Like, and he acknowledges the brilliance of his adversaries. I think those are really healthy approaches to scholarship that, you know, in my opinion, should be pretty solid uh, axioms of like, this is how we approach knowledge in a healthy way as a group of people. Third are kind of a lot of same thing, uh, political views he brings up that I think are very agreeable. So just like being pro constitution, seeing like, that's a pretty, pretty amazing document. That's led to a lot of things not being catastrophic that probably could have otherwise been uh, top down causes problems because of, again, the kind of arrogance of individuals believing they can do better than everyone else on everything that kind of comes back to like the, the expert question. Uh, I really liked his analogy about, you know, don't castrate the top performers. Don't t cut the legs off the top performers. If you want to make an even playing field, focus on strengthening the weaker players, not just cutting the legs off the top players. Because again, kind of improving society in that way, and then also just encouraging the study of history to have a less gullible population, uh, specifically weather history in this context. And then fourth one, I have four takeaways in cheating here. I did, I did say I had a lot to say, so I can't really feel bad about it. Is 
a question of motives. This is a little bit of just rehashing the inconsistencies thing, uh, but you know, if the COVID was purely about health, why would bars and alcohol remain open and gyms stay closed? Right? That's that's like one interesting question. If the climate debate was truly about carbon, why is no one actually discussing all of these low-hanging fruit measures to remove carbon? And again, I could be wrong about a lot of this. I could be wrong. I'd love to be proven wrong and someone much more educated on this to come challenge my ideas and, you know, take me up on all the things I've just brought up in terms of like intellectual debate. But just the questioning of the motives, if it was really about carbon, why isn't this being discussed? If it was, if mainstream politicians were so concerned about, or even just mainstream like real estate companies were so concerned about these areas flooding in the next 10 years, why, like, why would they still be taking 30 year mortgages out in places like Martha's Vineyard, which will be like the first place to flood if like the temperature levels hit the projected measures on based on CO2. It's just like asking these questions and we should be allowed to ask these questions. Uh, that's what I have to say about this episode. That is what we do on the Lewis and Kyle show is we ask questions. That's kind of what the word interview podcast means. If you enjoy this podcast, this episode, <laughs> other episodes, whatever, leave a review on Apple iTunes. That'd be the best way to show us that you appreciate what we're doing and think we should continue doing it. If you have any feedback for us, this episode or any episode, but maybe this episode especially, we really bring up some contentious points. We'd love to hear what you have to say about it. We're very accessible on Instagram, on Twitter, via email. We put that in the show notes. So say, so, hey, otherwise, if you can't wait to hear voices again, I don't know if anyone who's listened to every single episode, uh, except maybe me and Kyle, just in the editing process. So go through the feed, check out another episode and hear us there. Otherwise, we'll be back in a week or so with the next one. Bye-bye.